episode 299. I'm your host, Mike Epps, uh, infested with strep. And with me as always... The Rembrandt Q. Einstein of this podcast, David McBurney, Family Master. And uh, possibly able to spell streptonumococcola for a spelling bee, your man in Japan, Michael Baker, Kaijuman Rotari. That would be impressive. Oh, I, I remember some random cartoon from the early 90s that had an episode featuring a spelling bee and it got really trippy on the visualizations, but the final word for the competition was streptonumococcal. <laughs> Good times. I can't even remember what show it was, except for whatever reason for the visualization, it was the main character like basically jousting on, uh, on bees. <laughs> uh, she, she and her main competition were riding each other's friends in like bee form and shouting words at each other as challenges it was, it was weird like, no, no, right. it, it must have been like really early 90s yeah I can see we also dust off yeah unfortunately uh, Destiny does not like to let you stream it, so I have to just stream my entire screen. Alright. You consider streaming other games? No. I know for a fact you have. <laughs> yes, in fact, I just got one the other day, planning on streaming in the near future. Called Clive and Wrench. Oh, uh, yeah. I heard about that one. Okay, uh, uh pleasant trees aside, uh, where have we been up to? Where have we been playing? Um, I put up a review last week instead of doing Q&A quest. Yeah, it's probably a better use of your time, but uh, your betrayal will not be forgotten. What was the name of this game for the viewers in the back? Meg's Monster. <laughs> hmm. Adorable, really short, hyper... What's the right word here? There's, it's like, you know, you can qualify most RPGs as interesting plot beats with tons of interstitial material to fill it up. Mm -hmm. And this is a game that's just mainly very interesting plot beats. Hmm. With the occasional puzzle and RPG combat sequence. Adorable as hell. Uh, yeah, sounds like uh, I assume you've been playing something else since then. But who can say? Uh, no, I've mostly been attempting to finish the Pokedex and Pokemon Sun just in the free time. <laughs> Not bad. Fun. Yeah. Pokemon fun. Yeah, I finally remember that. Oh wait a minute, there is no national decks in this game, so I don't even need to worry about half the things I'm somehow getting off of Wonder Trades. You're free. Yeah. So you don't even have to worry about them. (laughs) And wheels. For some reason, I've gotten like five different. 
very special level 100 legendary Pokemon in weird colors. I assume someone either hacked them in or somehow got them out of some sort of event that was not supposed to spawn that many. I have no idea what's going on. All I know is I can only trade one of them out a day. It won't let me trade more than one of them away. Weird. I have no idea what's going on at this point, so... Oh well. I just know that none of... Almost... Only the Solgaleo, the first one, actually counted for my Pokedex. All the others are... Like, oh, I'm just going to get rid of these things. Hmm. And Wheels, what have you been doing? Well, I've obviously been playing lots of Destiny with the new expansion out. Uh, I zoom straight to the goddamn moon. Yes. Uh, yep, and this is all we're going to be speaking of it, yes. No, no, I get to talk about it a little more, because it went through a hilarious internet reaction last week. Um, people obviously had a negative reaction for the story, which I talked about last week. I'm not going to rehash that. Uh, but some of the gameplay elements people had an initial negative reaction to, which is hilarious because about 24 hours later, the reaction was completely the opposite. Like, oh, these, this new yeah. subclass is extremely underpowered. They really need to buff it. And once people obviously had time to do some builds with it, it was like, wow, these are completely broken and absolutely freaking awesome. <laughs> it's like the attention the internet is a fickle and disingenuous thing that can be distracted as easily as a cat with a laser pointer. Yeah. And the same thing for, like, they put in a new, like, build crafting system in this game, which went through the same thing. Wow, this is simple and kind of lame and not as good as what we used to have to... Uh, there's all kinds of things we can do with this. It was really stupid, and I mostly paid no attention to it other than to point and laugh. Because I have been having fun from day one, and, you know, fuck all the noise. Uh, yes, and I will kind of leave it at that, because uh, I don't think a lot of our listeners actually care about Destiny. Um, Oddly enough, no. Yeah, yeah so if you're interested, it's an extremely good expansion, and uh, seems to spell good things to come. And in fact, they just, with the uh, weekly update this week, they just put in a really cool mission to get an exotic weapon. We go into... Uh, basically go into cyberspace. Which is something involved around the Vex, like the machine race in the game. It's really cool. Spooky. It's a very good expansion. Highly recommended. Uh, ignore any negativity out there because people are just whiny and annoying. And I, sh I assure you, all the people that are whiny and annoying have not stopped playing the game since the expansion coming out anyway, so <clears throat> just ignore them. Um, Got it. Done. Already. Re real quick, Fireminer on the chat asks, has Wheels oh, yeah. done any 40k Darktide streams? I have not. Would you like me to? And that sounds like a tacit request. Yes. Uh, I've always had a mild interest in Warhammer 40k probably because so many things I play are influenced by Warhammer 40k so I'm not opposed to the idea of playing a game from it let me be opposed for you because the amount of I mean 
how deeply you dive into certain things that interest you. If you dive into 40k, there is no turning back. That is a bottomless pit of random lore and world building, and I'm not even sure what they were smoking on some of the stuff. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's something. Uh, yeah, it, is, it is all the somethings. And it, it, passed at, it passed out of random parody at some point and into self-parody quite quickly. So. Uh, I've got some friends who played Darktide, I think, because it was pretty decent. They're not otherwise 40k fans. Uh, yeah, I've, I've played a few Warhammer games in the past and kind of left it at that. Yes, I have actually played tabletop Warhammer before, though, but... The, okay, so I do get the, to beat you up again. Yes, the idea of having to paint figures was extremely boring to me, and that's kind of where it ended. Yeah, yeah. yeah. minor offers the recommendation Dark Tide is cool, especially if you're already into Vermintide and Death, Left 4 Dead. They are. I did so, enjoy me some Left 4 Dead. Yeah, might be worth your time at least once. Uh, and I feel like I would enjoy spacey sci-fi Left 4 Dead. So I'll have to give it a try. Thank you, Fireman. Put you in a fucking space. Wow. Um, but yeah, have played anything other than Destiny? I hope so. Uh, I've yeah. played Pathfinder, not the video game, the actual tabletop oh. game. Oh. Yay. <laughs> uh, okay, char- class. What character class? A w- wizard. Come on now. <laughs> Gross. Yes, uh, but it was a nice reminder of how like refined and good Pathfinder is. Mm-hmm. Like so I now was going to play Wrath of the Righteous. Like I was building, going to build a character. I'm like, all right, when do I roll my stat? I don't roll my stats. I just pick bonuses. This is awesome. I feel like people should have kind of gotten used to the idea that I don't think a single human being that isn't uh, approximately 50 years old actually still likes rolling stats. No, that's true. But yeah, it's that's just the easiest example. But beyond that, there were just lots of refinements. And like my friend who's the DM just printed out uh, some character sheets that had a bunch of information for my class like already filled out. It was uh, it was just fun, really good, really good time. Looking forward to more of that. Uh, and yes, I may actually play one of the computer games now that I have the hankering for some Pathfinder. Now you got two different Pathfinders to play. Yeah. Both At some point, I'll probably replace bands. this computer and then be able to see if I can actually play Pathfinder Kingmaker on it properly. Yeah. I, I think I may actually play the second one because we are actually doing the Kingmaker campaign in the tabletop and I feel like yeah, I'm going to be, be spoiled if I play the computer version. If any of your tabletop RPG group members if you know anyone that migrated after the whole OGL controversy with D&D uh, no, and I thought that that was resolved with nothing really changing. Yeah, so that's not confusing. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Except, no, except for Hasbro managing to nuke any goodwill that anyone had towards their yeah. products. Uh, no, so, my group would not do that because we don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, we just kind of play Pathfinder because we like Pathfinder. It's not. We've played. Uh, uh, D&D 5th edition was the last one we played. Is that the newest? That's the most recent one, yeah. Yeah. 
They announced something that sounds like it's technically 6th edition, but they don't want to call it 6th edition. But it might yeah. also be more like a D&D 5.5. I haven't checked too hard. But yeah, I... Uh, my reaction to that controversy was to roll my eyes. I'm sorry. I, I, can't, I can't be bothered. People overreact. People re overreact to fucking everything, and I just... I can't. I'm too old for drama. Mm. Uh, I know some of the things that they were doing on, with the underlying, um, like rights management, was actually quite, you know, um, disturbing. So thankfully they didn't actually do any yeah. of that. Yeah, they ultimately gave up on that. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. Yeah, I they're, like. They're yes, it, it looked bad, but they had not announced everything, and yeah, it's, it's just, just if they, it yeah. was one of those cases where if they took it to the logical direction that they had started out in, then it would have been a lot worse than what it ended up being. So, uh, oh well. My my current it, my current um, worry with online stuff is the fact that um, like it seems like half of the literary agents and public and publishing entities have stopped taking submissions right now. That's uh, right. That's disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, um, one in particular was very public with saying that, yeah, ever since ChatGPT came out, the yeah. percentage, the number of either plagiaristic or just outright, I mean, obviously faked submissions oh. has gone up about, literally, it's gone up so much that we have to use orders of magnitude. To yeah, just thousands and thousands of percent. Like, none of them are of enough quality to ever get accepted, but they are hard enough to immediately spot that you can't filter them out. Exactly. So they're, cl I mean, it was not a particularly well streamlined apparatus to begin with. And it is now clogged to all hell and back. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's more my concern at the moment. Sucks. Oh, oh, Pathfinder, some more comments. Some old heads told me that when the same thing happened during 4th edition, a lot of people either went back to 3rd edition or go Pathfinders. This time around, you'll have to factor in. Some people just like the whole 1D&D &E stuff. Now, Wizards of the Coast are trying to integrate more apps into the game. I mean... That's, that's edition wars in their yeah. purest form. Part edition wars. Yeah. That's just one of those. Like... It, it's very rare for a edition war to be so bad that it actually loses the market share. Fourth edition was a particularly nasty one. I, I uh, was because actually it was part such of a... that. I didn't like fourth edition. <laughs> What's that? So that was one of those people. I'm sorry. I didn't like fourth edition. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a very fundamental game design uh, philosophy. Uh, move it was a very fundamental shift away from how third edition worked which is fine because the edition's kind of bad but yep uh like third and a half edition existed yep yeah but i mean I, I i think the fundamental philosophy behind third edition is kind of bad but yeah. uh yeah like evidently you know very popular and there was something that was basically just more third edition that was very easy to migrate to uh, whereas 4th edition was a very different game that was not going to be easy to homebrew your old shit into. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's the other concern is how much of this is designed to ensure that people keep buying more stuff. 
As far as integrating apps into the game, I don't see anything wrong with that. If as long as it's just helping people have more ways to play the game, like remotely play the game or things like that. Not sure what it would be beyond that. Like if you're talking about if you're saying they're making apps integrated to the point where you can't play without the apps, I'd have a problem with that. But I'm unconvinced that they have the capacity to do that. Yeah. Yeah, but at at this point, we also kind of have to assume that if we can imagine a level of monetization, that somebody will be attempting that level of monetization, whether or not it is actually for sure. Yeah. Also, uh, for your question, I don't can't think of a version of Icewind Dale that would have even been available Mm. for four E rules. It used three E rules, unlike the other Infinity Engine games. Yeah, Icewind Dale. Two used third edition, and the f- and which yeah. was new at the time because all the other games used second edition. Yeah, back when that was A D and D. Yeah, before they dropped the distinction, just made A D and D the core game line. Yeah, that's what made Icewind Dale two a big deal was because it used third edition. Yep, and you can have yeah. all your broken haste you want. Yeah, and yes, Neverwinter Nights also used third edition. And KOTOR uses a variant of it as well. Yeah. Bit of a shame that we didn't get any 4A games that actually would have been a system well suited to them, but... Oh well. Uh, let's see... Uh... Okay. So we had some fire minor questions in the podcast. Th- uh, oh, I needed okay. to ramble about what I've been playing. It'll be short. Oh, okay. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, let's see... Uh... Hopped into Legend of Heroes Trails from Zero, like I threatened to do last week. That's moving along. Uh, gotta get caught up just in time for Trails to Edge to come out next week. Um, we'll see if that actually happens. It's a lot of game. But who knows? I accidentally beat Trails in the Sky the Third in a week, so who can say? Who can say in this crazy world? Um, but as for. Uh, what else I've been playing? Uh, any of this RPGs? Like, I'm thinking of a bunch of stuff that I did fuck around with, but a lot of it, eh, some of it would qualify for an adventure corner. I've replayed some of the original Disaster Report. That's a neat game. Oh, Disaster Report? Neat game. Satai Zetsume Toshi. Uh, anyone, anyone ever play that? Anyone? No. <laughs> um, I. I think I recognize the title, but no, I have not played it. It was uh, the, the first one. There's four of them now in the most recent one was a Switch and PS4 game. Uh, they're, they started out as early. The first one was an early PS2 uh, Oh, game. okay. I recognize this the, through the Japanese title. Yeah, Zedai Zetsume Toshi. Yeah. Uh, but... It's a PS2 game by Iram back in the last few years of their uh, yeah. uh, the last few years of them existing as a game company. But uh, it was basically just uh, escape a city that is being uh, destroyed by an earthquake. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no combat to speak of. There the is slow collapse of an artificial island. Yep. Suffering from multiple earthquakes. Yep. First a major quake and then some aftershocks that affect the environment as you move through it. 
the it's it's a very atmospheric game just by virtue of the fact that it has no direct conflict with other humans for the most part like you Man just versus the environment yeah just you need it's it's rare for games to really uh shoot for that um a lot of exploration uh there's some branching paths based on uh what other survivors you end up uh grouping off with but it's you know it's it's an interesting thing your primary concerns are how much you can carry and you know things like oh i better refill my water bottle because i only have because uh, my character will get thirsty very quickly unrealistically quickly but that's fine it's fine it's a video game uh but yeah, it's 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 got a an atmosphere and a style to it. I run in its last few years as the developer was actually a fairly experimental company. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. It's it's a neat game in a neat franchise, and I've been enjoying uh, playing it a bit again. Could um, I pops into the chat to say so? Wolong seems decent, but not amazing. Seems like a bit of a step gap towards their next game, which is their real title. Yeah, I played that on Game Pass, Wolong Fallen Dynasty. It's uh, basically, I would describe it as the Neo Dev's take on Sekiro. Hmm. So, uh, mm -hmm. simplified in some senses, extremely ball-bustingly hard in others, and uh, generally uh, very focused on uh, countering to get your enemy off guard. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it felt inevitable that there would be this kind of thing from Tecmo Koei, who uh, were never going to uh, stay away from uh, ancient China as a setting for long, given, the, uh, <laughs> given where where the company's uh, bread is buttered, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, for something well, I just downloaded. Where the rice is fried, yes. So to speak, yeah. But... Uh, yeah, I, I played some of that because, hey, it's on Game Pass. Why shouldn't I? And I had a decent amount of fun with it. Um, it's, you know, it's not my uh, going to be my go-to or anything, but you know, I can see myself playing a fair bit more of it. We'll see what happens. Uh, I think that the uh, slightly uh, de-emphasize... Uh, RPG that I experienced while going through the tutorial was maybe a good thing because it gave the game less temptation to drop infinite amounts of shit, which is kind of the problem with Neo that I have, where it's just, <laughs> here's an infinite uh, cavalcade of garbage you don't actually want to equip, but there's like dozens <laughs> of them. But yeah. Um, like I said, kind of an ideal game pass sort of game. Uh... Uh, oh yeah, there's kind of a neat uh, piece of news that was announced uh, within our collective Wheel House. Uh, apparently, through some sort of special edition of the uh, Adelier remake, you will get an officially translated version of the original. Oh. Hmm. Oh, I mean, like the, the plus version of the original. remake, but the actual original game. Yeah, like the actual the actual original is like a bonus in one of the editions. It's like here is a translated okay. version of the plus version of the original. Huh. Hmm, okay. Oh, the plus version. Yeah. Okay, that would be the PlayStation Two version. Yeah. 
Okay. But yeah, it's it's kind of a neat thing because like the the remake looks like it's making not not com- like huge changes, but you know, big enough that it would be interesting to see what the original looks like and how it compares to it. So, uh, kind of a neat bonus to include, and hopefully something that they eventually sell separately. But, yeah, that was kind of neat to see. Uh, oh, and uh, finally, Square has announced something for June that I care about. Mm-hmm. That's me being mean to FF16. It's Front Mission 2. Front Mission 2 remake comes out in, on June 12th. Oh, is FF16 coming out in June? Yeah. Don't care. <laughs> yeah, neither do I. Um, but yeah. Uh, the But yeah, Front Mission 2 remake, which the first time that they have... That, that doesn't even have a usable fan translation, as I recall. There were some issues with hacking it that meant that uh, not all of the in-game text could actually be uh, inserted, so they just ended up using a stopgap of, like, most of it's translated, but there are certain parts that you just have to uh, reference and include PDF in that fan translation. So it's the first time it'll be convenient to play in English. Nice. Um, excited for that, because there's very little information about Front Mission 2 in English. Uh, that's fun. Uh, Array old old things. They're back. Um, In pod form. Presumably. Uh, Could I ask... Yep. Okay, yes. Oh. Uh, Budai's asking which Like a Dragon game has the most confusing story. Uh, And they're all ridiculous soap operas, but... um, They're they're very convoluted. I actually have to play them to be able to tell you what they were. Yeah, I'd say tough. Like, some of them, it's probably, like, four or five. One of those ones that's, like, introducing a bunch of new stuff, but also expects you to know a bunch of old stuff. Uh, and then Ishin, we get a special handicap in the, in the West because it expects you to know... Uh, it expects you to know a lot about the Bakumatsu period, specifically because it expects you to know, hey, wait, this is the part where they're fucking it up and doing, like, they're they're messing with the actual historical story. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very hard to fully grasp what they're doing with the narrative if you don't have at least some grounding in what the actual narrative is. Yep. Uh, yeah, probably, probably four or five. Those ones are really convoluted. Six has maybe the craziest one, but it's not the most confusing. It's just really insane. Uh, Six, I believe, has like as a as I recall, has a core plot point about the about dredging up the Yamato. Hmm. Which uh, the Yamato? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't even just that they were that it was a uh, that it was dredging up the original, but there was that there was like a hidden Yamato Mark II or some shit. It's uh, it gets weird. Uh. Yeah, this is definitely an issue with anything that uses actual historical Japan settings. 
Yeah, or anything that expects you to just sort of know things about historical Japan. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember trying to discuss some stuff about the Raido games at one point, and remarking about such and such item was kind of actually kind of funny and they had no idea what i was talking about because um i was apparently more in tune with late taisho early showa history than somebody in america and without realizing yeah, i was it, about to ask uh right those in the taisho era right but it's like a weird they did like a weird fucked um, up version of it technically i mean technically the year is given as like taisho 20 except taisho is only 10 years long yeah, that's what it was. So, um, I mean, it is effectively like 1935, mm-hmm. but it's in a version of 1935 where the emperor was weaker than um, than Hirohito. I mean, Taisho, the Taisho mm-hmm. emperor was a very, like, just a, he was not a strong emperor mm-hmm. from a physical, mental, and emotional standpoint. Gotcha. Yeah. So just imagining that rain prolonging and, su- and such, thus keeping uh, certain aspects of Imperial Japan from creating uh, the direct circumstances of World War II. Oh, no. I mean, it was actually the other way around a bit. Um, mm. The, the uh, like interdepartmental squabbling between the Navy and the Army just didn't stop, basically. Mm. Which was a major point of the first Raido game, was that the army was doing something to, uh, was was being used and thought they were using something to gain political supremacy over the Navy. Yeah, I was, I was just trying to remember, like, when did I play that and realized it was 14 years ago, so I don't fully blame myself for it and without me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I get, I get to dredge up memories like that all the time. Just talking Good about times. Stuff. Yeah. It's also why I don't actually replay games that often. It's like, I don't need to. Good work. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's uh, we've gone over what I've been playing, so let's hit the... Yeah. Uh, I forgot to mention, but um, Metal Dogs had another update. Yeah, and it's getting an international release. Yeah, um, so yeah, my Japanese, my physical Japanese copy of Metal Dogs now plays in English. Huh. Hooray! Well, that's or, cool. I mean, it, ha- it has a language select item on the starting screen. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, Useful. So, uh, yeah. Eventually, I'm going to get through the uh, the new post-game levels. Um, just that the the level I'm currently stuck on, or haven't not have not bothered to finish yet, has at least three mini bosses. Which I could probably just walk around if I wanted to, but nah, just I try to kill everything. Hmm. Yeah. <sighs> uh, good to get more metal in our lives. Um... Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and okay. also interesting, since the the copyright um, at the, on the starting screen now says Psy uh, Games. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. So it's it's not not a situation like Metal Saga where success actually kept the IP, mm. or kept that part of the IP. Yeah, no, they they bought it lock stock and barrel. Good, yeah. good. And are showing interest in maintaining it, which is even nicer. Good, to, good to see. Heartwarming, yeah. if you will. 
Okay. Uh, so okay. the old power minor questions are now, or? Yeah, we we're going to hit the ones in the Discord that we hadn't had up yet. Right. Um, let's see. I think as of last week, we'd only done like one and three, so. Oh. Okay. Uh, I'll hit this one real quick. How hard was it to get an OG Xbox in the first year of its life? Not terribly. Yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah, one of those things. <laughs> What's that? Microsoft is good at producing stuff. Yeah, but it was also just a case of like it was it was a system that people weren't sure how long it would be there because mm -hmm. you know for every Sony that you've got you got your fucking Panasonic's and other random like <laughs> you got your random companies that haven't really been in the games business and aren't necessarily committed to it for the long haul once they see how long it takes to really get a major return on it so mm -hmm. and beyond that. Uh, this was true even of, of third-party developers. They had a significant uh, investment from a handful of companies, but you had weird things where even Microsoft seemed uncertain about how much support they would actually be getting, which is why uh, for about a year or two, Microsoft makes its own in-house first-party uh, sports games. Uh, the long-forgotten and unmourned things like NFL Fever and I'll be in something so there was an mlb game i know that microsoft made an mlb game for the uh, xbox and the second that they realized that ea was going to be consistently bringing their shit to the console and sega was going to do it it's like why why are we bothering with this and all of them were summarily canceled and never spoke <laughs> uh but yeah uh so it was uh, it was not difficult the and like the follow-up part of this question is and what made people buy it other than halo nothing halo was the reason people bought it <laughs> It's called a system. That first year, that was reason. that was it. Yeah, that was the that was the reason people cared. the The other thing was that if a game did come out on Xbox along with the others, it was probably better than the other systems. Uh, I'm trying to think of what was early Xbox the, software. The legitimate reasons or actual spiking. It, it, it was legitimate. It was like it was a stronger console and it was easier to develop for if you were used to developing on PC because it was it was just a Pentium. It was mostly off the shelf parts. True, uh, true. And it was we're talking like opposite the PlayStation Three, which had its issues. PlayStation Two, but the PlayStation Two was. Uh... Have I ever mentioned that the PlayStation Two does floating floating point math different than basically every other console you've ever used? Huh. Oh, really? Good times. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I forget what the fuck nonsense that it's doing, but the way that it does floating point math makes it so that uh, you have to be kind of careful about how it functions compared to any other system. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying to remember, like, other first-year Xbox games, and there's, like, just a ton of shit that you, if you weren't there at the time, you don't remember that it happened, or you're looking at just uh, retrospectives of truly, like, terrible software. Uh, like, the just squeaking in before the one-year anniversary is the infamous uh, Kakuto Chojin Back Alley Brutal, which is just among the worst fighting games ever released. Uh, the, the, the thing that's beautiful about that game, also known in Japan as Kakuto Chojin Fighting Superheroes, mm -hmm. which... Mm -hmm. Basically, what that name already means. Uh, oh, oh, Kakuto Chojin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, but basically, uh, for a moment, I thought you were saying black sugar. I'm like, wait, what? No, okay, <laughs> not quite, not quite. But the uh, Kakuto Chojin, uh, th this game came out and uh, it was almost immediately recalled because it had a sample of uh, from a standard sample library that had appeared in things that had also been uh, surreptitiously altered over time uh, and would again have to be. Uh, have a game altered due to using the sample. It was Chance of the Quran uh, as a background sample that also found their way into Ocarina of Time and Little Big Planet uh, four years earlier and six years later. Uh, because it was just part of this sample library that people kept not thinking about, well, what are they chanting? I guess I don't care. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that, that came out and immediately they realized what a bad idea that was and promised to recall it and send out a replaced version that didn't have the sample. But the game had sold so poorly that they just never bothered issuing a corrected version. <laughs> <laughs> they just gave up. Who cares? Yeah. No one's going to buy it the second time. Why bother? Uh, that was one of a couple of first-party fighting games that Microsoft released around that time. Uh, the guy, the other guy who made Mortal Kombat about a year and a half after the Xbox launched, the, by the other guy who made Mortal Kombat, I mean the one who is not Ed Boon, who still makes Mortal Kombat. Uh, the other one, John Tobias, made a studio called Studio Gigante and made a fighting game you've never spared a second thought to, even if you've heard of it, called Dao Fang Fist of the Lotus. Uh, there that was. That sounds fake. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds yeah. like somebody's trying too hard. It really sounds like Very somebody's much. trying too hard. Uh, the other things you might have bought an Xbox for in its first year would have been Sega games. A was, lot of was Mechasol year one. Or was that? I, I think Mechasol is twenty twenty is twenty oh three. Okay, I'm double checking just to be sure. Uh. Yeah, because Mechasalt's a... Oh, Mechasalt comes out, I believe, on the anniversary of the system launch, okay. November 15, 2002. But, uh... I think that was the first game I actually played used with uh, Xbox Live. Yeah, that was a, an early Xbox Live uh, thing. Uh, but the... The the Sega games were, were another thing that you might have bought in year one. Mm. Uh, Jet Set Radio Future, Gun Valkyrie, uh, Toe Jam and Earl 3, if you're a particularly unfortunate soul, uh, Panzer Dragoon Orta. I believe all of those are first-year software. Uh, and, you know, like, a lot of them were late in, like, part, you know, developed partially on Dreamcast to almost entirely on Dreamcast, and then someone realized, wait a minute, this has just zero chance of ever recouping uh, our investment on Dreamcast. House of the Dead 3, uh, a, t a ton of their stuff quickly migrated over to the Xbox. Um, how quickly did they turn around Shenmue 2? Because that came out in Japan and Europe on the Dreamcast, but not in the US. The US only ever got the Xbox version. Um, and the Xbox version just squeaked in in the Xbox's first year, uh, October 26th, 2002. So, yeah, that, that was kind of the other thing. Uh, you would get some 
enhanced ports of PS2 games uh, that were running a little, like, you know, that came out a little later because, you know, they've, they've launched earlier in the PS2's lifetime. Stuff like uh, Silent Hill 2 Restless Dreams, uh, which, you know, had new content, so that was exciting sounding at the time. Uh, God, when did Metal Gear Solid 2 Substance come out? That sort of thing. Uh... But yeah, you know, like it, it was, it was usually like you would get somewhat enhanced or more content-rich versions of uh, PS2 games, and that would be kind of your uh, wh what you had to play on the Xbox for that first year. And then every so often, Microsoft would put something out, and sometimes it would be good, like Mech Assault, and then or sometimes it would be extremely bad, like uh, Daofang or. Oh god, did they publish these uh Azuric New Legends? Uh you know, just just the sort of uh you get some you got some really weird the Xbox launch is gigantic. It's like forty games and like half of them are things that showed up on everything, like uh like just you know, you your handful of generic uh action racing games or like Stream Force games very common at the time. Uh or, um, or, or the the only area in which the Xbox succeeded in Japan. Oh boy, what? Um, the only only area of gaming where the Xbox really succeeded in Japan was uh, shmups. Yeah, mm. yeah, yep. Just because the Japanese um, indie shmup um, scene was very much PC gaming and it moved very easily over to Xbox. Yeah, you could port those over without uh, breaking the bank, given that you were a small Dojin developer, basically. Yep. So, yeah, so um, Japan, um, Japanese Xbox library has more shmups than anything else. Uh, <laughs> or, a lot of shmups, a handful other... of uh, visual novels. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, the, the visual novels, that's not so surprising, because that's kind of the end stage of any console over here is uh, visual novels. Yeah, but it, it more more indicative of the fact that uh, a lot of stuff ended up skipping the Xbox in Japan, but yeah. you'd still see those because they were cheap and there were plenty of PC ports that were easy. So, <laughs> I, I think I, more of the point I was trying to lead into is that you have more shmups on the Xbox than on any other console of the same generation. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. Yep. And we got so, none I mean, of them. Yeah, I mean, visual novels. Visual novels are a dime a dozen on every console of that generation. Mm. Once you mm. get far enough into it, but shmups. If you were a shmup fan in Japan, you had an Xbox. Mm. It was. And if you were a shmup fan, you were already specialized enough that you were willing to spend three hundred dollars on that. <laughs> yep. And of course, then there was the infamous whichever Tales game it was that was Xbox exclusive. Oh, that's three sixty. But yeah, Vesperia. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. The the Spiria, the one that actually caused the 360 to sell out in Japan, physically sell out in Japan. Yeah. Because they yeah. hadn't expected that much increase in demand. Yeah, that that would happen like once every time that there was a big name uh, RPG, uh, uh, big name Japanese RPG, you would see those uh, the Xbox 360 sell out for a week, and then it would just like tank off about a week later. Mm -hmm. But. 
let's see. Um, Fire Miner has some more questions about fighting games made by the studio that developed Cobol, right? Yeah, Kakuto Trojin was made by Dream Factory. It was fresh off of them uh, and Square Enix both pointing fingers at each other and saying they're the ones that fucked up the bouncer and swearing never to work together again. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, OG Xbox has black, which is way better than OG Killzone. Um, my ass is better than OG Killzone. <laughs> also, I should Killzone point out blows. the PS2 also has black. Black was, uh, was not an exclusive. Uh, let's see. Studio Gigante was all over the place. They made that Wu-Tang game, right? I don't think they made Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang was made by the people who made Thrill Kill. Uh, Wu-Tang Clan Sha- Wu-Tang Shaolin style, also known as Wu-Tang Taste of Pain. Uh was made by yeah paradox development studio gigante made uh like they made at least one wrestlemania game they didn't make a lot they were only around for a few years i feel like see uh yeah i'm seeing daofang pistol lotus and wrestlemania 21 and they prototyped a game based off of the movie Kill Bill that never ended up happening. But, yeah. Uh, also, anyone listening to this, if you've never seen it, please go look up the uh, controller that was released alongside uh, Wu-Tang Shaolin style, which uh, is in the shape of the Wu-Tang symbol and thus essentially impossible to hold. What the fuck? <laughs> Let me see if I can get you an image of what this looks like. <laughs> does not look fun to oh. use. Just Googling Wu-Tang controller gets you lots of pictures. Yeah. That is, that is like the opposite of ergonomic. Yeah, it's, it's really more for show. <laughs> it's a show, all right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's something. <laughs> if, if I had infinite money, I would carry, I would keep that just for the for the sake of owning it, but... Wu-Tang Taste the Pain limited edition controller. You know what Taste the Pain is what your fingers are doing. Yep. Just dropping an image of that into into the Discord we used to record. Um, So please appreciate that on your own time wheels. Uh, But yeah. uh, The original Xbox was heavily buoyed by halo because like i've listed like a few dozen things that people might have been playing on it but realistically the only those are things people played on it when they already owned one. <laughs> most everyone who owned one who bought one bought it for halo that's the that's the power of like a really uh compelling and popular piece of software is the like once once you've already sold someone the hardware all the selling them additional games is much much easier but that mm-hmm. first get, getting them to buy that first buy the you, console you need the first killer place. app yeah like you need you need your mario 64 your breath of the wild you need like the tetris. entire Tetris, uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, Grand Theft Auto 3, that sort of thing. Something that uh, causes people to be like, well, I need the system now. 
and then once that's out of the way, suddenly it's much easier to sell them on all the stuff that they'd like to have played but couldn't really justify it. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, let's see. Um, remember Martin Shkreli owns the one of a kind Wu-Tang album? I think he had to sell that to someone else as part of his liquidation. Mm -hmm. um, okay, but let's hit some of these other questions, especially since Gaijin took the trouble of reserving them last week so that he'd be able to actually discuss them. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Uh, so you know that you have a job and family and so have less free time. Do you feel like you've become less risky when it comes to picking what games to play? I feel like I spend a lot more time reading their reviews out of the fear of wasting my time. I have never been anything but risky when it comes to picking games, it seems. <laughs> what I have become less of is is dependent on phys on a console connected to a TV. Mm -hmm. Yes, same. That's, that's just not a guarantee. <laughs> oh, that is never a guarantee because TV is Disney Channel over here. <laughs> Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol. Whatever yeah. you do. This reminds me of the knock-on effect of having children where I was talking to Wheels about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and him saying that he had had to stop watching it at some point uh, during the pandemic because his child was there and he didn't want them to see it. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, that's, that's, there's a lot of body horror yeah. in there. Yeah. Well, funny thing about oh, no, that I mean, was I was like... I got all excited because I think I would started watching on Hulu. I was like, oh, I have Funimation now. I can watch it on there without commercials. It's not out of Funimation. But it is, yeah. on, ne it is on Netflix, though. So you can still watch yeah. it without commercials. Yep. I think Netflix was the distributor on part six in the U.S. So. And as for the second part here, spend a lot more time reading reviews out of fear of wasting time. Um, honestly, I... I have I rely on RP Gamer to help supply my gaming habit. <laughs> I, could, um, I could not afford all the games I played last year, or I could, but I probably shouldn't. Given um, given the whole family thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, like, yeah, I got several decent games as review codes last year, and reviewed mm. most of them, and still have one that I oh I keep forgetting to actually write for that one for Outbound Ghost. Uh, mm -hmm. that one eventually I, it kind of got superseded by persona 5 um <laughs> yeah but Taking yeah things um, provided not by rp gamer but, but by an yes. rp gamer <laughs> yeah oh yeah True. I, it's, it's kind of amazing what percentage of my switch library i've not actually personally paid for <laughs> <laughs> Living the not, not even not not i mean not even including wheels and rp gamer <laughs> like Birthday presents from my brother, or things like that, or do you um, own Do you own Breath of the Wild? Yes, I believe you sent it to me. Okay, good. <laughs> We're good, gonna get good more answer. interrogative about that over the next few months. Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna have to play it eventually, but I'm, I'm but um, Rise of Three comes out next week, and I am paying good money for that one. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yep. So, but. I mean, yeah, like just last week, I I had not heard of Meg's Monster before I volunteered to get the review code. <laughs> and two day and like three days later, I was reviewing it. I'm like, oh, okay. well, that worked out well for you. <laughs> oh yeah. 
I mean, then there was also like a couple years ago for April Fool's Day, I ended up writing an impression of Stargazer. Oh, which God. is not which is not a game that you would ever play having read the reviews out of fear of wasting your time because you knew that you would be wasting your time. <laughs> Stargazer is a game that you play when you are embracing the concept of wasting time. Yes. Or if you just want to... I mean, it's... I think in the impression I actually said it was the video game equivalent of an Ed Wood movie. Yeah, you're, you're fully going into Monster A Go Go uh, yeah. territory when you get into Stargazer. Yeah. It, it's it's a game that you play to see exactly how awful something can be and still get greenlit. Mm. Um, while also learning a lot about video game design by what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the people who made it learned a lot as well, hopefully. <laughs> yes. And it, eventually I'm going to track down that uh, ROM hack that somebody did where they actually made a decent game out of it. Yeah, there's like a, I feel, I swear there was like a fan remake at some point. There was, I need to find it. Yeah, so. I'll, I'll see if I can dig that up, because I remember that floating around. Because uh... yeah, I am I am honestly interested in seeing where that game was, where that game thought it was going. <laughs> Is I have, I've read enough about what the plot was supposed to be to realize that wow, this is really messed up. Yeah, like, like there's the there's we have that a early war against genocidal psionic dolphins. Yeah, there's some very like, uh, you know, the this Famicom energy of like, well, no one told us we couldn't, so we did whatever. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yep. I mean, out of the honestly, I. I, I have tried to count how many RPGs I've played. I know it is in excess of 400. Um, very few of them had reviews when I played them. Yeah, yeah. Very few of them had reviews 10 years after they were made when I first played them. <laughs> Filling out that catalog, as few others could. Yep. yep. I mean, that's, that's one of the things I've always brought to the website is I will mm. just write stuff about games that nobody has ever heard of Nobody will ever hear of again, and yet somehow our website is now the number one source of information for this game available on English internet, or lack That's of alternatives. You, you've you've directed a lot of very strange people my, uh, to the site, myself included, when I'm sometimes looking up weird old games, and that's the only result I get. <laughs> oh well, well, thank you for the compliment there. Then yes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, okay, so let's... Uh, I, I think... Oh, should I answer the family end. question, too? Yeah, ahead, yeah, please. you should. You also yes, have yes. one. Oh, yes, that hasn't changed me at all. I just still buy random stupid shit like a moron. Let me, yeah. let, me t let me tell you about how I'll never let wheels live down an event that happened nearly ten years ago when we bought, like, five Call of Duty Hardened editions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It was only one, and it was... Modern Warfare was good, and I thought, well, I guess the rest of these must Surely be Surely they'll too. be good forever. And the answer was no. No. No, no Russian bullshit was as bad as you've heard. It's very open-seat. Um, yes. I remember... That was at a time when I, when I did not have a job, and one of my things that I enjoyed doing was... Uh, uh, rubbing salt in Wheels' wounds about what he could not actually get himself time to finish by mm. uh, 
betting that I could beat some ludicrous number of games in the time it took him to beat like two. Mm -hmm. Good times. Good times. Uh, I, I think that the the answer uh, for me, even though I don't I don't have a family, but I do get a job now, is the uh, it mostly just makes me more judicious about do I care enough to finish. <laughs> Something has to be either very good or intellectually stimulating for me to care enough to finish it beyond if I don't feel like it after a weekend. So, there you go. Uh, but, you know, I, I still like uh, playing weird, stupid bullshit. So, as has been clear over many, many episodes, hundreds of this podcast. Um, Let's see. Uh, okay. Let's hit this one. Can the success of multimedia franchises in the 90s be replicated? No. A lot of the millennials <laughs> I know sometimes wax poetically about how all-consuming these things used to be. Video games, summer blockbusters, celebrities, etc. All of them have such a big presence in the media space and public consciousness. It sounds like the 90s was a sweet spot between the inspiration, uh, the information being disseminated fast enough through the media, yet there's not too many news streams and sources of entertainment to make creating a monolithic media consumption diet an impossibility. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like the Hollywood the existence the existence of streaming and the internet killed the idea of the monoculture in almost every way, which is why you, you can see it even in things like go look at what was considered what are considered amazing ratings now. Uh, for TV shows, and then go look at what were considered bad or mediocre ratings in the nineties. And it's like, oh, yeah, you'd get you'd get shows that were were canceled uh, for being disappointments and or mediocre in the ratings that nowadays would be probably the most uh, watched thing on television if they just retained the exact same number, because like people just don't watch that much like any of any specific channel that's like all on the streaming networks the metrics are extremely complicated and essentially entirely privatized the company uh like there's only a handful of companies that control these things but like they're they maintain control in part by having a just broad portfolio and they don't care about you watching any individual thing they care about you watching just Something, something to keep you paying the subscription yeah. costs. Yep, uh, which brief. is why the Netflix metric is how many new people does the show bring in, yeah. rather than how many people are actually watching it. Uh, brief aside, which is how you end up with, which is how you end up with so many cancellations on the second or third season. Brief aside mm -hmm. to Hollywood in the chat. If you want to jump on the game now, I will run you through the Glaive quest. <laughs> so he's he's itching for one of the weapons I have in the game. Nerd. Uh, but yeah, uh, you can even see it if you could just go look at the uh, internet culture of the time. People just spent less time on this damn thing, and so, mm -hmm. uh, so something could be a meme for literal months. People would just keep posting it, making slight variations of it for months, and nowadays the. I think it's been a while since I've seen a meme stop, not be considered tired by the terminally online, such as myself, within like a week. 
it's just tiresome. <laughs> this place exhausts you. Um, but yeah, like th- things people consume at faster rates, they can uh, the consumption. The other thing is that even if everyone is, even if some, something is suddenly a huge hit, and it does hit like a broad demographic, they're not all watching it at the same time anymore. <laughs> Uh, or playing it or anything like that. Like games, I think part of the reason that you see so much clustering around hype and AAA games is that it's one of the few ways to kind of recapture this experience of everyone is experiencing this piece of media right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why, you know, I, I definitely see people sort of go in on games that I, you know, they probably aren't even that interested in but mm-hmm. you know it's it's communal to everyone's playing them everyone is playing this i want to be in on that discussion and that that used to be a, a big feeder of the monoculture was that you know you wanted to be in on this discussion there i'm sorry i'm slightly distracted there is an ad playing on wheels of twitch and it's just absolutely fucking dreadful i hate seeing these things what sorry never mind i don't even mm-hmm. know it does not matter. <laughs> but, well, you know, there's uh, only there's an easy way to fix that. You know, you, yeah, scroll down to yeah, the, the bottom of the page and click that subscribe button for the low, low price of forty nine four ninety nine a month. You can watch this stream ad free and help support uh, me buying random absolute garbage to stream on. <laughs> I, I uh, want on even less to do with that. I will pay to make it so you get less money. Yes. Such as the game I have pre-ordered that I will stream at some point this year will will horrify and delight everyone in equal measure. Approximately four people. What game is this that I can know when to hurt you? The the game that hurt me the most. Mm-hmm. Mugen Souls 3. <laughs> uh, thankfully there's Did not a three. <laughs> I was just saying, did it get that far and did he no. play that? No, I was just saying, like the game that hurt Wheels the most. What could what could hurt him more than another Mugen Souls? Yeah, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna stream the remake. Right. One of my primary complaints with the game was it ran like shit, so it may the be actually what? less bad on the Switch. The remake of what? Slightly, yeah. Mugen Souls. What? It's coming out on Switch. Get out. <laughs> you almost pronounced it correctly. Did I? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you said it, you had a hard G instead of a soft G. Wow. It's my my bad. I apologize, I apologize <laughs> for... for in, I apologize for pronouncing it nearly correctly. It's not my intent. Fireminer asks, uh, presumably in uh, relation to our previous state, uh, question or answers, remember Tiger King? I'm like, yeah, that was briefly on top of the world for about 10 solid minutes. And that was uh, partially created by the special circumstance of, oh god, we're all trapped inside. What are we all watching? Yeah. I mean, Japan still occasionally has success with some multimedia stuff, but it's um, mm. partly that's just I mean, Japan being a much more tightly packed country and able to interface with each other. You have to things. you have to cover significantly less square mileage in order to completely yeah. inundate the culture. Yeah, that, that's 
that's one of the biggest issues with the with the United States as a, attempting to have a countrywide media culture is that it just mm. is stretched too far, and it's too yeah. interconnected between the parts. And yeah, yeah, but, yeah the, the part. I mean, like Bandai Namco and Level Five have all had very successful limited multimedia things over mm. the years. Uh, sometimes it's kind of the engines they're built for. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, those companies also kind of specialize in this sort of thing. Yeah, like that's that's the thing that they make. They don't make individual things. They make multimedia projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I was going to say was, I, I consider like th- this is an unfair comparison, but. Uh, Pokemon now is huge and it's still impossible to describe how inescapable it was in 1999. I still remember a Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial with a Pikachu getting on a bus. Yeah, it was just one of those things where it was like, this is really popular. We can just put this in anything. It will sell on anything. It will inundate the toy aisle. It will inundate the food aisles. Anything that can sustain the image of Pikachu's face upon it will be branded. And honestly, I mean, I think Pikachu's like number three in the country for branding at this point behind Hello Kitty and possibly Kumamon. So it's, Mm. um, and actually maybe not even that, we may be close to number one still. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And like, and you know, wilder because this was the case in America. (laughs) Which, uh, yeah, just just one of those things like very difficult to recreate. Um, my minor speaking, I guess, of level five. My minor asks, will the next Professor Layton sell a lot since it does not have the ubiquity of Pokemon to make up uh, for the downtime no. between releases? Same question for Yokai Watch. I guess the the idea of like, will they just sell the same one for a long time? I, I don't know. I don't like. They pumped out Professor Layton games like Clockwork. I don't know who they were for at some point. Uh, it, there's just that one, that hardcore of fandom that will keep buying it, and it's not yeah. terribly expensive to make above normal. So. I, I think that they, they may have saturated that market for a time. I think that market may have regrown on the basis of there hasn't been a consistent stream of them for like half a decade at this point. Yeah, could also be, it's also a good reason for a lull in the franchise. Yeah, I mean, the, the other big problem that Layton has is that the guy who made the riddles died? Ooh, that's a bigger issue. Yeah, like, they had, like, a big... Uh, they had, like, a guy who's... A real old guy, I forget what his fucking name was, but he was the puzzle designer. He did all of the puzzles, and he passed away sometime between the last of the like, core Professor Layton games on 3DS. Um, I forget what that was. Azran Legacy? I think that's what it was called. But between that and the Lady Layton, uh, Layton Mystery Journey, uh, like, between those games, and people were much less happy at the quality of the puzzles in the most recent one. Uh, what was his fucking name? Uh... Yeah, let's see. Yeah. Uh, Akira Tago, who uh, died at the age of 90. Uh, but he was the he was the guy who made puzzles for Layton. Uh, he had been 
previously a honorary professor at places like Chiba University, and he had made a quiz book series called Ataman no Taiso uh, that had been consistently running since the 60s. Uh, but basically, uh, he, he got hired on, like, I, I would imagine that was a large core of the conception of Leighton was that level five had successfully hired on this very, uh, you know, long running, uh, institution of a puzzle designer and they needed a mm. game to build around hiring, uh, around him now that they had this deal in place. And that's where Leighton came from. I don't know that they've ever said that in public, but that would be my guess as to how that shook out. Um, that's, that sounds very likely. But yeah, he, he, he passed away a number of years ago at this stage, and I think that the quality of the puzzles will actually be a huge determining factor in whether people take to this new this new latent game. Because uh, like, as much as there's, you know, the, you've got the hardcore fans that ha are, are very, like, they love the characters and the, the stories as just absolutely batshit stupid as they tend to be. Uh... I mean, the, the stories are just a pretext to have the puzzles. Yeah, the stories exist to give you an excuse to solve puzzles. Uh, and so, you know, the the if the puzzles aren't good, the entire enterprise falls apart. Uh, just remembering, like, I, I, I think about Leighton a lot as the point where trying to explain something uh, in such a way so that you can say that it wasn't magic, but coming away with the the only feeling I could take away from the game was it would have been way less stupid if you had just said it was magic. <laughs> like, they start at the twist in the first game is that uh, the entire village that you were uh, in was just an elaborate uh, set of clockwork robots meant to keep one person company and got stupider from there. It is what? impossible the fuck? to describe how fucking stupid Lady's stories are. <laughs> and it's one of those things like some people find it charming. Uh, I don't feel like I have ever been more disappointed by a video game than Professor Layton versus Ace Attorney and I should have seen it coming because that is an Ace Attorney game where the fun is solving mysteries, and then like, this by the second case, I was like, wait a minute. The answer for why any of this happened is going to be fucking stupid. And I was right. <laughs> <laughs> the answer behind why any of the things that were happening was fucking stupid. Yep. Uh, sorry. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know how much there is a capacity to recover the yokai watch brand Not until there much. are children nostalgic for the old ones mm. yeah i would say you're gonna need to wait at least another five-ish years before you're gonna see the first wave of kids they're reminiscing on how much they love yokai watch one and ready to buy a nostalgic like reboot or remake or even just reruns uh. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, they tried to 
reboot, like come up with a new anime for it, or a new anime direction. Or yeah, I know that there's an anime currently running. Yeah, and that that seems to have just fallen flat. Yeah, it's yeah. just uh, yeah. They they really I mean, needed to yeah. let it fly. Yeah. yeah, the the real height of it was like right, um, like the space between Yokai Watch two and three, especially yeah. was when the anime was at its top. And then after Yokai Watch three, it just started petering out, and then the whole whatever was going on with the Yokai human hybrid superheroes school setting, whatever that was up with that series, it just did not work as a reboot yeah so I, don't even, for... I haven't, I haven't seen it for like two years now um haven't seen it mentioned anywhere yeah uh, let's see but yeah it's it's I mean, one, I'm of only these, one of these it now because we're having this conversation and i was like wow that that was actually a thing that happened isn't it Ugh. yeah okay. i think like, one of the other things that might like to close out this question i think one of the other things that might be a problem is that uh Paradoxically, it's hard to take over the culture, but the, your target demographic, it's much easier to saturate. You have mm -hmm. so many more avenues to saturate a, uh, a target demographic and make them sick of something or just mm -hmm. feel like they've gotten enough of it. Uh, Which is why Pokemon it, it just managed to be ridiculous in its success still. Like, yeah. How does it avoid that? It, it helps that Pokemon eventually settled into like a rhythm of off and on. Like you get the new generation, and you get a big blitz of stuff then, and then it, you know, it tails off until the next November, and then and a, and a couple of side games in between. It's like yeah, new generation side game, side game, side game, new new generation. Yeah, and it gives it gives that ebb and flow where like you get real excited for it every few years, and then you get to like you can check out of it and then check back in when you see that there's yeah. oh they're showing new Pokemon this year, new yeah. uh, characters, all that shit. And, and it's also got the benefits of first of all being the flagship for the for the style of production, so it's mm -hmm. filling the niche that everyone else is trying to push into. And yeah. it's also at this point multi generational. Yep, every every parent of, uh, of our generation is now ready to share Pokemon with their kids. My kids don't like it. I, I'm not. I don't like my kids anymore. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm just I, kidding. Like, I, I, you had to choose between Pikachu and your children, and you chose Pikachu. I've never actually watched the show with my daughters, but at the same time, I had a conversation about Pikachu with Raina the other day, and she's made her own little picture book starring Eevee and Pikachu. Nice. And I'm not quite sure where she is getting knowledge of it. Um, this amount of exposure to Pikachu. Yeah. Um, I'm just guessing it's from other kids at school and possibly her cousin when, last time they visited mm. over Christmas, but still. Still wild to think about. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but the fact that they, she just made a cute little like hand-drawn picture book starring Eevee and Pikachu. That's adorable. Yeah, and also, a Microraptor for some reason. Um, why not? Actually, no, not for some reason because she loves dinosaurs more than Pokemon. Yeah, kids love dinosaurs. Um, why not? Also, yeah. 
I, I need to bring this up because it's very funny. In the chat, Fireminer says, imagine being an emotionally distant father by giving your children Monster Rancher. <laughs> oh, God. Oof. I have I have a friend who who still adores like Monster Rancher in its original form. It's uh he he does not have children though, so I, he he does have a nephew. I I could perhaps one day he will pass the love of Monster Rancher to his nephew. I've uh, got the theme song to the English dub of the, the extreme shitty the theme song. I was transported. Uh, Play the game like an ace. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's get our uh, out the, of this place now, please. The okay. worst theme song in human history. Okay, moving on. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, no, I mean, I've, I'm sure I've heard worse. Oh, I, I have too, but like just the most bored song, theme song. Moving on, moving on. Uh, what is the most creative alien species in video games, and which one is the laziest to the point that they are just, quote, humans with prosthetics, end quote? Um, I'm trying to think of actually good ones. <laughs> the interesting ones that were actually well done. Yeah. I know something from um, Mass Effect, or I don't know. Um, I don't know. Like that's that's the thing is that like it's it's very hard for pe people to write a, a culture that's truly and totally alien. Uh, I, mean, I was just going for interesting, like oh, Choco Vaders, but those were technically not created for the game those were all like a what's the right word here a comprehensive index of every alien sighting for the 20th century <laughs> always fun yes uh, um, yeah I, I trying to think of you know because like you, on a long enough time scale like i feel like almost all of them end up just sort of being like what if humans, but we turned up one knob very specifically? <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. the general point of science fiction aliens. Yeah, so it's very rare to see, like, an, a truly impossible, like, difficult to comprehend alien culture. Mm -hmm. um, Sam says that his kids uh, will only wear things with dinosaurs. Um... See, uh, Fireminer says, "Is there anything as bad as TNG Code of Honor?" No, because that one's just racism. So it's just racism. The Star Trek episode. Mm -hmm. um, see, uh, Tam says, "Spore, create your own." Like you can make all sorts of visually interesting ones, but I'm thinking more in terms of like aliens that feel alien from human culture, as opposed to just being, uh, you know. Yeah, as opposed to looking different. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, something really just random. Oh, brain, 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 brain. I guess. Kinda. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's he's more of an eldritch horror kind of thing, but yeah. <laughs> um. um Okay, but something that's actually presented as an alien culture instead of a one-off entity. Mm -hmm. That's really difficult, because if you have to interact with it at all, it's going to be... have to have some point of relative... You'll need a point of reference. Yeah. But, oh, um, I've never even... I've, I've never seen a... Okay. I was going to say, some of the Metabots games where it was heavily implied that they came from outer space originally. 
Mm-hmm. Um, when I think when I think about it, I, I can't think of a of a game that has like even something as uh, out there as to go back to Star Trek, something like Darmok, where it's like, oh, our translators don't work because the way that their language is structured is different from ours. It's all entirely uh, cultural concepts, which you know there are definitely you know Earth languages that are pretty uh, are are getting there, but it is one of those things where it's like, oh, it actually does make you think of how a different culture functions. <laughs> I mean, different cultures. I mean, Star Trek. Con- I mean, just your average science fiction convention where everyone is starting to randomly put stuff after the third beer. Yeah, it's basically like, what? A, how does a translation device deal with that? The answer: it doesn't. <laughs> No, th- this is this is also my way of dealing with students who think that the translation software will get them everywhere. Tarmac and Jalada Tanegra. Oh no, no, just go with inconceivable. Yeah, no. <laughs> everyone, uh, everyone of a certain age just suddenly hears that in Wallace Shawn's voice. <laughs> yes. No, I mean it. I mean that is on like the very top of my list of movies that someone studying English really needs to watch at some point just because it will get quoted by people who have never seen it before. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, just watch the movie and try to absorb some of these quotes and you will go very far with English. You'll learn a, you'll learn a lot about uh, the kinds of things that's nest in English speakers' brains. Yeah. I mean, simply trying to... I mean, I had a class once where I was attempting to explain exactly how many random adjectives in English and adjectives, verbs, and nouns in English are somehow related to Greek mythology. Yep. Endless tangle. Yeah, Yeah, and and they're just like, what? And it's like, yeah, you think those four kanji combinations are so fun. Oh, no, they got nothing on some of the deep dives you can get out of English. Ooh, no. (laughs) Kanji at least have to speak of where they came from in some sense, because you can at least look up where the kanji came from. Yeah. I mean, the the four-letter combos are in Japanese are um, basically these traditional sets, um, the combinations of symbols that have a very specific mm. colloquial meaning, and which yeah. you can still sometimes see, but they're not commonly used in conversation anymore. They're more, considered more literary. Mm-hmm. And since they're not commonly used in conversation or in video game dialogue or video game text anymore, this is one reason why direct translation of Japanese video games always ends up being very dry and boring without localization. So, like, not many languages do the level of sheer what the heck is going on that English does. Okay, but still, creative alien species. Yeah, we might have to come back to this one since we're all kind of partly drawing a blank. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking stuff like from horror games and other things where there's just how the point is their unknowability. Exactly, and I don't play a lot of games that where they would have aliens of that sort. Yeah. Uh, let's let's hit another question. Uh, experience the best when it comes to doing the whole. The protagonist is the force of nature, and the side characters and villains are interesting. AKA the Fist of the North Star approach. Uh, I played I mean, this last week. <laughs> oh boy! Tell no, us no, about I mean, the game you reviewed. 
<laughs> Again, yeah, Meg's monster, the the titular monster, has uh, ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine hit points. <laughs> <laughs> um, in standard battles, he can he can barely be scratched. Hmm. However, since however the little girl hiding behind him will take emotional damage as she sees him getting hit, no matter how inconsequential the actual hit is. And if she gets down to zero resolve, she starts crying her head off and the game, I mean, literally the world comes to an end. <laughs> so, however, any battle where she is not present is usually going to be a battle against something that can actually seriously hurt him. And so we're talking like four digits of damage per hit. Mm -hmm. so. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, Roy and Meg's monster is very definitely a force of nature, kind of thing. Yeah. And the villains, side characters and villains are very hilarious. Interesting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, try that game. I think it's still discounted on Steam and things. About 10% yeah. off. Yeah. I doubt it's super expensive to begin with, anyway. I'm not actually sure how expensive it was. Oh, it's, uh... Let's see, 1,485 yen. Uh, it, okay, I mean, all my prices are in yen. I'm not sure on the dollar amount. Yeah, American Steam, it's 15 bucks on its, its base price. Yeah. So, yeah. Not, uh, not breaking the bank in which way you want. Uh, let's see. Magnus as force of nature. I'm trying to think of. Uh, this is just a relatively uh, easy one given what it stars, but. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, I was thinking of uh, the. The Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction game on PS2, where it's just like, yeah, you play in the Hulk, he just sort of breaks things. It's it's the uh, villains that are mostly the movers and shakers there. Yeah, that's, uh, that's always been an issue with the Superman games as well. Yeah, they've just never solved it. <laughs> no, I mean, they never solved it by not never realizing that they were going with the wrong genre. Yeah, there was, a, there was an attempt for the tie-in game for the movie Superman Returns by making it so that Superman doesn't have a health bar. Uh, Metropolis does, but that game sucks for other reasons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just like making it more he has to figure out how to get a best-case scenario out. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's a puzzle game. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah. Yeah. You got any suggestions, Wiz? No. I did not. Wow. <laughs> I do not. Uh, I, I would honestly say that most any uh, first-person shooter is doing this to some greater or lesser extent. Uh, you are the man with the gun that shoots the things. There's very little chance that you won't shoot the things. So the uh -huh. And oftentimes your character is extremely stoic, so it's really up to the side characters and uh, villains to carry the show. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, a lot of RPGs with silent protagonists do this to some greater or lesser extent as well. Uh, it's just whether your character is actually portrayed as a force of nature. Uh, let's see. 
Which manga slash anime franchise do you expect will get video game uh, adaptations from now into perpetuity? Dragon Ball, Jedi, Mom, Saint Seiya, Crayon, Shin-Chan, Gundam, and... And then I suppose we fill in our own blank about things that we will be seeing uh, game adaptations of until the end of time. Uh, taking the free space Naruto. one piece. Yeah, I was going to say Precure, but that's just because Precure gets a new series every single year anyway. Yeah, it's like Sentai. <laughs> yeah. um, it is exactly like Sentai. It's the same business model. Yep. And unreasonably well done for its business model. Mm. We're talking about, talking about multimedia franchising. Hey. Yep. They, they know how oh. to do it. Oh, oh, okay. So good example then. Um, so um, the Precure series all um, have their own mar um, merchandising company called Pretty Holic. Of course. That sell, yeah, that sells accessories and merchandise with the characters and or from various series of the uh, or yeah, various yeah, various series of yeah. series. Um but the I can tell you that the current series on TV right now that my daughters are watching every Sunday um mm -hmm. features a pretty holic store regularly. Oh, Lord. So, yes, so the franchise's own um, merchandising arm has a physical store presence in the show. Hmm. Where they sell uh... items to the main characters that are available in toy stores in, for real life. <laughs> that reminds me of how... Uh... One of the Gundam shows that was like just designed to sell toys, even more so than the, you know all the other ones, the Build Fighters shows. Like I, I was looking at it, and was like, oh, it would be illegal to show this on uh, American network TV because FCC standards and practices would say that you aren't allowed to show the toys that children can buy within the show itself. And there's like just dozens of boxes of Gunpla in the background of all of these fucking shows. Mm -hmm. I mean, the point of the show is the Gunpla. Yeah, no, it's it's hundred percent to sell. Like, you know, they they do the best job they can, but it is to sell you the gun for them, So, of course, the American animation standards and practices also say things like, you cannot have somebody riding on a bicycle or skateboard or whatever without a helmet, no matter how illogical this would actually be. Listen, children are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But, or um. One story I heard, there was a, apparently a short-lived cartoon about Dalmatian firefighters where, for standards and practices, they were not allowed to show fire. Yeah, standards and practices get weird. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah. So, yeah, so that's... Yeah, so Japan's just like, okay, yeah. Um, here here goes the no pretty kid store. No, I have no idea what the, what the equivalent would be in Japan, except that it does not do the same job. Yeah. Uh, and manages and manages uh, manages to do the job better by not doing the same job. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the the free space on this for me would be uh, the, would be One Piece, which is the other thing on this list of things that's just like constantly producing games to games and other shit to tie in with things, even when there's not anything particularly world shattering going on in the manga at any given moment. Yeah, I mean, he already mentioned Fist of the North Star previously. That would be on the list here. Um, oh, so yeah. That, I think the funniest thing about... 
Yeah, JoJo. I think the funniest thing about Fist of the North Star is that it's it's still continually getting tie-in merchandise, but always covering only like the first third of the manga. <laughs> like it's the only part anyone cares about. <laughs> like after after Rao goes away, there's just not that much interest in what happens afterwards. Mm-hmm. Let's see, but yeah, those those like. Uh, in perpetuity uh, shonen things that are just constantly molting and <laughs> reforming uh, and readapting forever. Uh, now that reminds me of like talking to my brother about something he had seen in Japan like 10 years ago and him trying to describe it and me being like, that was Fist of the North Star. You saw like some Fist of the North Star mm-hmm. and shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, those would be the, the easy calls, I would say. You'll just continually see those get uh, remixed long after all of us are dead. Um, What do you think about the idea of a gateway game to a genre? What can make it work and what can't? Looking at this discourse around Fire Emblem Engage, I really have to ask how many people got into the series through three houses would play other more complicated turn-based strategy games since the characters are what they are attracted to. Is there a pipeline with Fire Emblem, FF Tactics, and Langrisir at the start, Valkyria Chronicles in the middle, and XCOM, Dyson of Yaku, and Panzer General at the end? I mean, you're going to get less and less interest, uh, like general interest, the more that you make it like an abstract war game. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that you will get people who are brought in by the characters and stay for the uh, strategy battles because there's, if they didn't care about the strategy battles at all, then they would be more attached to things like you know visual novels that are just character designs and socializing and reading. So the strategy battles do augment that. Sorry, you were saying? Oh, no, I was going to say, I know a lot of uh, visual novels with well, interludes as well. So yeah. That's Japan. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, even just pure visual novels. Uh, those would have more of a foothold if there was uh, just, you know, you would, you would be able to find that, that kind of thing service without, if, if they didn't care about the strategy battles at all, there would be ways to get their fix without uh, bothering with them but I, I think that like you know a lot of to, to some people it's a interaction game with strategy battles in it to some it's both and to some it is strategy battles with some characters i kind of like mm-hmm. and the last category is the one that is going to be most pulled into other strategy rpgs and you know it Certainly, some games do manage to do that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. part part of the point of mushing up these multiple sets of elements is that you find things where people don't realize that they want these other kinds of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the the amount of people who are interested in hardcore strategy battles are generally less than the amount of people who want to. Uh, have at least some leavening of, you know, character interaction. So, 
I think that you'll find that for a lot of people, uh, like they might be able to go from Fire Emblem to FF Tactics, but they would not go from there to Dyson Ryaku because the it's it's just stripped out too much of the other thing they care about that helps uh, cut the amount of just sitting here and thinking about which hex to move your tank to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know that's that's fair enough. Like that's just sort of how that's the whole reason that genres mix, and part of the reason that you'll see people pick up new genres like. The intermixing of, oh, like, this has elements of that other thing that I liked. How much of that do I need before I stop caring? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got any opinions, Wheels? No. Not at the moment, anyway. Okay. I mean, I feel like uh, I have, to- I was on Backtrack before this, and I feel like I have uh, ah, talked as talk much as. As I can, recovering from strep. Yeah, I'm, I'm baffled that you did that. You shouldn't have. You should have uh, just I told ca- us that you couldn't tonight. No, I caught it really early, so it's really not that bad. But yeah, I am feeling it at the moment. Gotcha. Okay, well, we'll hit a couple more and then close this out. Um, Sounds good. Uh, in Japan nowadays, how do they sell digital copies of PC games? I think they just do it through Steam. But uh, do they put them on Steam, or do the Japanese uh, have an online platform of their own? There, I think there are a few homegrown platforms, but I think mostly it's Steam. <laughs> well, I mean, Steam's got a lot of it, but like DL site is. Oh yeah, DL site for for I think for a lot of the lower budget stuff ends up on DL site. Yeah, it's just that the the buy-in for Steam is reasonable as well, so a lot of them will just go across both at some point or another. Yeah. Um, I, I know I've seen stuff on DL site like a year or two before it arrives on Steam. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there is some priority given that for I mean, depending on the, the actual group or the mm-hmm. the circle that's doing it. Yeah, but I think part of just though that DL site has a longer history with some of the game design circles in Japan, and so yeah. they just go there first. Yeah, that's when you're getting into the full dojin uh, scene. But uh, yeah, and then otherwise, you know, like if you see a AAA developer in Japan uh, talk about a PC version, they don't even talk about PC versions. They say that it's also coming to Steam. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they've signed a deal with Epic and then it's coming to the Epic Game Store, but they basically never say we're making a PC version. It's always we're making a Steam or Epic Game Store version. I mean, also because at least that way they can. I mean, it's. Japanese PC market has always been kind of weird and broad and very variable. So it's much easier to say that it is this specific platform that is compatible with many different types of computers. Yeah, they can just say, like, if you're, like, on your own head, be it if you've got Steam, like, work it out yourself. (laughs) Uh, How hard is it to get a Steam Deck in Japan? They only just started selling them at all, like, a few months Mm -hmm. ago. I've never, I haven't seen one out in the wild here yet, so I, I can't imagine you're going to see a lot of them. They're very expensive and very large. Mm-hmm. You never know. I'm sure that there are people that have them. Uh, but... I mean, when I say in the wild, I mean like in the stores too. Oh, they don't sell them in stores, not even in the U.S. Yeah. yeah. Like those are strictly a mail order item. 
I saw a lot of things, but I still see them in secondhand sometimes. Yeah, you might see see them in secondhand stores. It's just I I feel like the the harder you have to the more you spend and the harder you have to work to get something, the more that you're not gonna it, that it's rarer to see them in a secondhand store. So mm -hmm. you might see one occasionally, but probably not very often. <laughs> Uh, as much as people, uh, as hardcore people, really like them uh, in the U.S., I think worldwide they, in the first year, crested a little over a million sales. Which, you know, given how they're selling them, is very impressive. But for any other, uh, if if they had had expectations of like traditional console sales, that would have been dismal. So one of those things, like. They they require a certain amount of buy-in before you even see someone lay down money to try to get them. So, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. New Year's resolution. We're gonna hit some of the things on the question list. We gotta. Okay. Uh, let me okay. Just pull okay. this up. Okay. 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 See, that just made us feel like, despite having more options nowadays, what is considered a good gaming accessory has only gotten more expensive instead of forcing companies to raise their average quality. Like a 90s Sidewinder joystick was not the cheapest thing, but modern joysticks that are only a bit better than that are more expensive. Uh, I mean, I don't feel like there are actually more options nowadays in the, like, in the 90s, I would have described it as being, like, you were spoiled for choice in terms of, like, like, low-quality manufacturers that kind of drove the price of things in general down, as well as the fact that, like, uh, for most, most controllers didn't have as much stuff in them. And most uh, and, and most accessories were less specialized. So, like, I mean, I don't know if what of the old brands that used to pump out an endless supply of slightly uh, retouched uh, third-party controllers even still exist. Like, I remember just an endless parade of Nyko and. Pelican and Mad Cats and all those fuckers. Uh, Logitech still exists, obviously, but Logitech used to make just an army of uh, controllers as well. Like just uh, in, in addition to ones that I know still are flittering around, like Hoi. But uh, like I, I feel like it used to be there were significantly more uh, cheap uh, manufacturers, and that they've winnowed down over time. Uh, and so, correspondingly, you know, you're, uh, and as what's in the controllers has gotten more complicated, you've just seen the general prices rise. So, yeah, because I mean, like, you know, you look at a PS5 controller or a Joy Con, like, a suitable replacement needs to have. Uh, a more complicated rumble motor. It needs to have uh, general like gyroscopic uh, 
features. It needs to have uh, like wireless features, like just all this stuff that, like by itself, it's not super expensive, but you're packing all of it into a controller. Controller like manufacturing process is a little more complicated because they're generally getting smaller. Fuck you, Dual Sense. Uh, so that and inflation, and again, like the winnowing down of third party manufacturers, you just sort of see them slowly creep up in price. Um, let's see, uh, what games have box arts that make the people think the graphics are worse <laughs> than they are? In my opinion, King of Paradise is one such example. There's an entire hit parade of uh, games with like really unflattering renders on the front that make them look like garbage. Yeah, I'm very, very happy I don't have to deal with some of the American covers for some games I like. Um, yeah, I, my my all time favorite remains the uh, two thirds of Kazuma Kiryu's constipated looking head. <laughs> on the Yakuza 3 cover it just looks like you know, it, it was it was a very nice model for the time but at the same time it wasn't a flattering like render uh, in terms of like lighting or like even a particularly well composed image so it just made the game look bad um, use, use official art why use an in-game render? <sighs> Yeah, there's there's like there's some there must have been some sort of marketing research that said that like people like renders of dudes' faces because those are those are inescapable. Yeah, I'm just remembering what happened with the Romancing Saga cover. Um, um, it went from nice and artistic to let's cram as many characters onto the front as possible. CRPG where you can pick many characters. Here's the characters. Yeah. <laughs> But the the Japanese cover is like objectively nicer looking. Mm -hmm. Oh well. Yeah. Uh, and the the next question on this list involves something near and dear to my heart that I will want to give more of its due. So we will save it for next week. So let's. Close this puppy down by telling me about where I can read about a princess and some pizza. Oh, always the pizza. Pizza's good. I love pizza. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let me. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Princesses of the Pizza Parlor on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Um, if you enjoy tabletop RPGs, if you enjoy reading about tabletop RPGs, if you enjoy reading about other people playing tabletop RPGs, and I mean, if you enjoy watching it on pot, um, on YouTube, then why not give it a try? Then we have Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, a um, serial novella and short story format. Um, what's what, what's it right here? A literary actual play podcast in print format, I guess. Might as well. Mm. Um, available either individually by ebook episode or in paperback collections of uh, four paperbacks at this point. Working on the fifth. Mm. Um, let's see, we currently have ten episodes, two short stories, and a paralogue available. And the the third short story should be out by the end of the month. Nice. 
or should being, I mean, I just need to actually get around to doing it. Um, <laughs> so yes, that, again, that is Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Yes. So please check it out. Um, leave kind words, a star or something. Not enough people bother to actually write anything. It gets really like waiting for Godot over here. Okay. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. So give that a look. Uh, Wheels, what you got? Um, in addition to catching us every Wednesday around midnight Eastern Standard Time on this channel for the live recording of Q&A Quest, you can catch us every Sunday night at the same time for Sunday Night Shenanigans, where we play multiplayer games. This week, or this past week, we played the JoJo uh, fighting JoJo's game. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure All-Star Battle R. Which was an absolute hoot, and we may do that again this next upcoming week. Uh, in addition to that, next week is our 300th episode somehow. Oh, Lord. Uh, so we will be having a special guest. It's Platy M3 on the show. Platy M300, more like. Uh, yeah, oh, uh, shit. Uh, and I will not be streaming Destiny. I will stream uh, a game near and dear to our hearts. Yes, it's going to be a saga, saga game. <laughs> oh, I was afraid you were going to say Moogan Souls. No, no, that's not out yet. And also, I wouldn't uh, do that on our 300th episode. That'd be awful. That would guarantee we wouldn't reach 400. Probably. So yeah, check oh, sure. that out next week. Normal time. And that's it. Yeah. And uh, apologies thanks. on the delay posting this week. As previously mentioned, strip. And it happened. Yeah. I got it on the day I normally edit and post. That being yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, so uh, leaves me to close this out. Thanks uh, for thanks to Fireminer for asking our questions this week, uh, as well as Budai, and also thank you for to Tam for showing up in the chat as well. Uh, you can also ask us questions if you want to be uh, friendly and pleasant as they are by going to either joining us in the chat at twitch.tv slash askwheels Wednesdays at midnight as wheel, uh, midnight Eastern as Wheels mentioned. Or you can go to the uh, comments section under one of the last few episodes and I'll check that. Or you can go to the RP Gamer Discord, which you can get to by going to the community tab of RP Gamer. We'll get you the Discord invite link. Uh, it's a lovely community, whether you want to ask us questions or not. But if you go in the podcast section and ask us a question, be sure to give it an answer. Otherwise, I think it is about time we close this out. So see you, Space Cowboys. See ya. See ya.